It's very good to see each of you tonight. Some of y'all were a little slow getting here, so it made me nervous. I thought, man, this weather is going to mess with our attendance. But, hey, we all got here, and we're doing well, so it's good to see each of you. This has absolutely nothing to do with tonight's message. I just want to share a story with you. Maybe the confession is necessary for, for my own benefit. The kids have already heard this. Susie has already heard this. But, you know, this morning I preached on uh, the tongue and the risk that we take, the more that we talk, the better the chance is that we're going to say something we shouldn't say. And uh, for years, I've been saying to Nathan on a regular basis, especially now that he's out of the house, I've said to him many, many times, love you, boy. That's it, just love you, boy. And so this morning after the morning service, and uh, I don't remember who closed us in prayer, but uh, whenever, oh, Brother John, whenever he closed us in prayer, I'd intentionally gone this way, which is not normal for me, so that I could tell the folks from the Meredith place, that it was good to see them. And and uh, I've told Johnny, who has become my buddy out there, I've told him several times that I love him because I've, I've grown to love him. And, and he always says to me, I love you too. So anyways, walked by him, patted him on the shoulder. Keep in mind, he's 80 years old. Walked him by him and said, love you, boy. And he just kind of looked at me. And I don't know if it was all registering with him, but I thought as soon as I, I just told an 80-year-old man that I barely know, I love you, boy. And uh, anyways, just... It's one of those things where it didn't last three minutes for me, and I was already saying something that I regretted. So I I just, I know the struggle is real, and probably this afternoon, maybe some of you have already said something that you didn't need to say. Uh, If not, just give it some time. At some point this week, you'll probably say something that didn't need to be said. But uh, anyways, like I said, that has nothing to do with tonight's message. I just, the the confession is necessary, I guess, for my own peace of mind, just to let you know uh, I struggle like anyone else does, and I fail like people do. And so, anyways, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started and uh, get into tonight's message. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your goodness to us. Thank you that we have this comfortable place to assemble. Lord, I do thank you for the music that we've enjoyed tonight, how it's ministered to our heart if we've allowed it to. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just the encouragement that it's been. I pray that you would bless now this effort to teach your word, to preach it to your people. I pray, God, that you would help us to give it the consideration that it needs. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, you will remember, I trust, that we began this new study where we are going to be looking at the words of Christ for the next few weeks, maybe the next few months. And in doing so, I said that it made sense to start in the beginning where we have the first words of Christ recorded. Obviously not the first words he would have ever spoken, but the first words that were recorded for our behalf. It was whenever Christ was 12, whenever he stuck around in the temple, uh, whenever his family had gone there to observe the feast or the Passover. Uh, We know that it was the day after that his family had left to go back uh, uh, to Nazareth. I'm sorry, I went blank as to where they were from. Uh, When they were leaving Jerusalem to go back to Nazareth, it was a day later that they realized Jesus was not with them or with the friends or the family that they thought he might be with, so they immediately began making their way back to Christ, found him there in the temple, and you may remember what his words were whenever Mary spoke to him and said, why have you done this to us? He said that he must be about his father's business, and that word or that phrasing that he must be about his father's business indicated a need that Christ recognized even at age 12. And so I tried to show us that whenever we recognize something to be a need, It usually takes priority over our wants in life. And whenever you and I see the need of obedience, it helps us prioritize our actions. 
It helps us prioritize what it is we're going to engage in or to be a part of. And so I hope that's something that's stuck with us, maybe a little bit. I hope it's something that's been a help to us to realize the need for obedience and not obedience just being an option available to us. Obedience really is a need, okay? It really is something that needs to be done where we put aside our own wants and our own desires and we do God's will, whatever that may be. Tonight we're going to move on. As we do, I'm just going to make a quick little statement and then move on to an illustration that I hope will kind of tie in to the message in the next few moments and, and maybe help us remember the sermon in the days to come. But I think like most of you, maybe not everyone, but I think like most of you, Susie and I have a very honest relationship with each other. Uh, we try to be thoughtful. We try to be careful many times in the way that we, you know, uh, communicate with one another, but we have an honest relationship with each other, and we, we share how we feel, what we're thinking, uh, sometimes even when it might be difficult to do so. So that in mind, we're going to shift away from that completely for just a moment, but how many of us are aware of this truth that a popular souvenir for travelers are t-shirts? you ever noticed that, that a popular souvenir for those who travel and go to different locations, a popular souvenir are t-shirts. And I don't know if you like t-shirts to kind of remind you of where you've been, but that is certainly true of our family. If you'd ever like to know where we've ever been on vacation, just look at our t-shirts and it'll tell you really the whole story. So that in mind, over the years, I've bought different t-shirts that Susie likes, okay? She says things like this, and I'm not trying to be gross, but she says things like this, Babe, I like the way that shirt looks on you. That, that looks really nice on you. And she's complimentary of those T-shirts. She, she just says it looks good on me, okay? But that said, it was back in 2005 that Susie and I went to Washington, D.C. for our first time. And like I would any other place, I bought myself a T-shirt. And... I, I paid up a little bit on this one as opposed to what I would normally spend on a T-shirt. I think this one was like 16 or $18. It was a little bit nicer T-shirt than what I'm used to, so that lets you know what we usually buy. Okay, We normally go the 3 for $10 route. But anyways, so I, I paid up a little bit on this one. I think I paid $16, $18, something like that. It was a much better quality than what we're used to. So again, that was in 2005. Well, guess what? It's still a part of my wardrobe. So here we are all these years later, and the shirt is certainly thin by now. The shirt is stretched out. The shirt has holes in it. The shirt has some stains on it. The shirt is in bad, bad shape. But I still like it. And I still wear it as often as I can. And Susie has made this very clear to me that she hates the shirt. The one from Hawaii I can wear whenever I want. The one from San Francisco I can wear whenever I want. The, the one from some, some other places I can wear those whenever I want. But as soon as I put that one on from Washington, D.C., she snarls up her nose. She, she hates it. She has threatened to throw it away. She has threatened to burn it. I told her that would not be good for her if she did such a thing. And here's one of the things that she has said to me in our honest relationship with one another. Babe, that shirt does not look good on you. 
Just to be honest with you, it makes you look bigger than you really are, which is code for, babe, you're fat. Okay? And what she says is, is it doesn't slim you. It doesn't make you look slimmer. It, it, it just accentuates your size, and, and, and it's just not a good look for you. Now, do you think I like hearing that? I don't like hearing it, but guess what? I don't, well, it's true. That wasn't where I was going with that, okay? That was kind of hurtful. Who said that? Brother Randy, did you say it? Okay, well, all right. Shut up. Uh, yeah, it's true. But where I was going with my thought is this. Whenever she tells me that, here's what I think, I don't care. I still like it, still comfortable. It's what I want to do. So just keep this in mind. Certain things from her perspective have a good look. Other things don't necessarily have a good look. But, but I may or may not care depending on my outlook in that moment. Now that in mind, turn if you would tonight to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be for just a few moments. From what I can tell, this would be the next public appearance of Christ after his time there in the temple that we looked at last week. This whole study will not be done in a chronological fashion, but the first few sermons will be somewhat chronological in their approach. So here is Christ and Matthew chapter 3. It says in verse number 13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Now, most of us are familiar with who John is in this particular verse. We generally refer to him as John the Baptist. And here's what we know is that he was a few months older than Christ. He was family with Christ because the mother of John and the mother of Mary, they were cousins. And so here is John, and, and we most of us know what his, his ministry was or what his ministry involved. We know that John was commissioned by God to be a forerunner of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so it was John who would say things like this, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh the sins of the world. He was the one who said things like this, There cometh one after me that I'm not worthy to, to undo the, the shoes on his feet. And, and so that's who John was. He, he was preaching and he was preparing the way for Jesus Christ and he was also one who preached repentance, one who was taking people away from the religious system that was in place in their day. And so John was not exactly a popular person with religious people because there were those who could see through the emptiness of the Jews and, and the whole system that was there. And, and so John, to an extent, had a following. He had baptized many in his ministry. So in verse number 13, it says, again, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of or by him. And in verse number 14, it says, but John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee and comest thou to me. So we are understanding of what this verse is saying. We are mindful of what this verse is saying, that, that John tried to refuse this, this request of Christ to be baptized of him. And what John said was this, is, listen, if anyone needs to be baptized of the other, it is me who needs to be baptized of you, not you being baptized of me. 
Here is what John knew as well as Christ knew. Here is what Christ knew as well as John knew. That, that first of all, there was absolutely nothing that Christ would have had to have repented of and would have this need of baptism. Okay, so, so John knew this, and Christ certainly knew this, and, and, and really John was wise enough, he was discerning enough to know that really there was no purpose in this, but John thought, listen, if anyone ought to be baptized, it ought to be me so that I can publicly identify with you, Christ. And yet, nonetheless, here is what Christ said in verse number 15. It said, And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. So what does that statement mean by Christ? It just means this, John, go ahead and do this. John, go ahead and allow this. It's okay, just do what I've told you to do. Just do what I've requested you to do. So in the last part of verse number 15, it says, Then he, that being John, suffered him or allowed him to be baptized. And so on this day, in this moment, John is approached by Christ. I want you to baptize me. John refuses, but Christ encourages him to do so, and John goes ahead and follows through with this. Now keep in mind that John was baptizing there at the Jordan River, which means this. There were others who were looking on. There were others who no doubt were being baptized. There were no doubt others who were making their statement of faith, their profession of faith, and this person that John had been preaching about. But whenever Christ was baptized, it says in verse number 16, it says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So imagine for just a moment what this must have looked like. Christ is baptized of John. He comes up out of the water. Christ does. It says when he was straightway out of the water, the heavens opened up, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and then a voice from heaven was heard saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Do you think that was anything John forgot any time quickly? Well, of course not. This is something that John would have remembered the rest of his days, though they were going to be short after this occasion. This is something that John would have remembered for the rest of his days. Everyone who was around in that moment, they would have remembered this. They would have remembered this taking place. This is something that would have been burned in their minds forever, as long as they lived, what they witnessed and what they experienced in that moment. But all this being said, I want us to go back to verse number 15. I want to spend just a few minutes tonight looking at some words you may have noticed I've already skipped over. But I want us to see this, that after Christ requests to be baptized and John refuses, uh, John says no, Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, allow this to happen. And then Christ went on to say this, For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. He says, for thus it becometh us. I want us to see this, that that is plural. You realize this? For thus it becometh us to fulfill or to accomplish all righteousness. 
What do you think is the, the idea behind this word righteousness? Well, I think most of us would be aware that the word righteousness is dealing with the idea of doing that which is right. Would you agree with that? Think about this. The word righteousness is dealing with the idea of doing that which is right. Now, you and I, we may not fully understand why Christ needed to be baptized. Again, it's not as though he needed to identify with himself or repent of anything he had done wrong. That is not at all the case because Christ was a sinless, holy, righteous God. But, but, but he said, it becometh us to fulfill righteousness. So he said, you and I, John, we need to do that which is right. We need to do what is right. So in this statement, here is what Christ said, that it becometh us to fulfill or to accomplish all righteousness or all that is right. He said, it becometh us. John, go ahead and baptize me. John, go ahead and follow through with this. Just do what I've asked you to do, because it becometh you and I to do what is right. What does it mean whenever Christ said, it becometh us? I want to share just a couple of thoughts with us from the Scripture, and then we'll try to make some application to this. The word becometh means, among other things, that which is right, that which is fitting, or that which is proper. Keep that in mind. It means that which is right, that which is fitting, and that which is proper. So in a sense, here is what Christ was saying to John the Baptist on that day. He said, go ahead and baptize me. For thus, or because, it is right to do right. Uh, listen, I, I don't want to get on any of us tonight because I know, I, I know the nature of the evening, okay? But I want us to think about this. Christ said, John, do what I've told you to do because it is right to do right. That's important. It is right to do right. When is it right to do right? Whenever you're put in a position to do either right or wrong, obedience or disobedience, Christ said just go ahead and do it because it is right of us to do right. He said this, it is fitting for us to do that is what is right, and it is proper for us to do that which is right. John, why do I want you to do this? And John, why do you need to do this? Because it is appropriate for you and I to do what is right. Now, I want us to think about this for just a moment. And, and we're going to deal with this more in just a few moments. But I, I want us to think about this, this idea that it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. I want us to, to think about something that we are fully aware of. And that is over the course of our days and over the course of our lives, you and I are going to find ourselves in positions where there is a right option and a wrong option, an obedient option and a disobedient option to God's will for our lives. 
that is going to happen. It happens probably on a daily basis, if not multiple times throughout a day. And I want us to think about what Christ said. I know that it's in lieu of or in light of his personal baptism, but I want us to think about the principle that Christ communicated, and that is this. It is always right for you and I to do right. It is always right for you and I to do right. Now, now not everyone may think it necessary to do right in every situation of life. But as the child of God, these words of Christ can be a wonderful help to us if we'll just remind ourselves it is always right to do right. It is always fitting for us to do right. It is always proper for us to do right. It is always appropriate for you and I to do the right thing. There really is never a time that it's okay to not do the right thing. There, there is never a time that it's not fit, that it's not proper, that it's not appropriate for us to fulfill righteousness or for us to accomplish what is right in the sight of God. It is always right to do right. But this word becometh, it does not just mean to do that which is fit or proper or seemly, one of the definitions I left out. It also means this, to be pleasant to look at or attractive. To be pleasant to look at or attractive. What Christ seems to be indicating with the wording that is used here is that there is something beautiful or something attractive about doing that which is right. There is something beautiful, there is something attractive, there is something that is becoming, there is something that, for lack of better words, we might say this, it's kind of easy to watch, it's kind of easy to observe, it's a wonderful thing to be able to look at the one who does right. There's something about obedience that is just becoming, it's attractive to behold. It looks good doing right. you got to kind of ask yourself this question. Here's Christ doing that which is right. Who did it look good to? Who was it attractive to? Who, who was it that it was pleasant to look upon for? Who was it that enjoyed Christ doing right and enjoyed seeing John do right. I think in this moment it's fairly obvious that the Heavenly Father found His obedience to be becoming. Something that was pleasant to look at, something that was attractive, something that was flattering for Christ. Think about it. Whenever Christ came out of the water, it says the heavens opened, the dove descended and sat upon the shoulder of Christ. And Christ spoke, or God spoke, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Obviously, in that act of obedience, that was something that was attractive to His heavenly Father 
that being God. Who else was it attractive to on that day? Well, I think it would have been attractive to the others who were being baptized, who were identifying with this one that John was preaching of. What is John doing? He is baptizing people who have identified with Christ. They have forsaken the ways in which they had been raised. No doubt to the dismay or the frustration of those who had loved them and cared about them and maybe thought they had made some poor decisions for themselves. No doubt it had cost some of them to become followers of this one that John was preaching of. And for whoever was present on that day, they got to watch Christ do that which was pleasant to look upon and attractive. So much so that God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I I want us to think about this. Don't you know that that was a blessing to those who got to witness it? This is the man that we have placed our faith in. This is the man that we have placed our trust and our confidence in. And, and, And what an encouragement it would have had to have been for them to witness the obedience of Christ, something that looked good on him, not only in the eyes of the Heavenly Father, but in the eyes of others who were trying to do right as well. So if you follow this, Christ said to John, now come on, just go ahead and baptize me, just allow me to be baptized, because it becometh us, it's right to do right, but it's also pleasant to watch when someone does right. I want to ask you something this evening. How many of us have ever witnessed somebody go through a situation or a scenario where they've had to make some tough decisions? They've just had to decide, what are we going to do with our lives? What are we going to do in this particular situation? What are we going to do as it relates to to what we're confronted with? And as you watch them... What they decide to do is what God would have them to do rather than what culture might tell them they ought to do. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Now, I don't know about you, but I think most of us would agree to this, that when a person is put in a situation where they've got to decide what they're going to do, and they choose obedience unto God's will for their lives, rather than what the pressure and the culture may want them to do or try to dictate to them what they will do, whenever they choose to do right, don't you kind of believe that that is attractive to their Heavenly Father? 
I mean, here's the world that they're living in and all this pressure and all this, this conflict that might be present, that might be possible as a result of whatever situation they find themselves in. But you see that man or you see that woman or you see that family, whoever they are, and they just decide, listen, we're just going to do what's right because it's right. We're just going to do what's right because that's what's appropriate and proper. Don't you believe that, that God in heaven must be looking down on them saying, boy, that's what I like to see. Man, that looks good on them. To, to see them just doing what is right how attractive and how wonderful to behold something like that. I just have to think in situations like that, when someone just does what is right because it is right, it is something that is pleasing for God to watch, to observe, to take note of. Let me ask you this, consider that same person, whoever it may be, whatever situation you can think of, whatever you might conjure up in your mind. For the people who are trying to serve the Lord, who are witnessing this person in that moment, wouldn't you and I also say this, that not only does that have to be becoming to the Heavenly Father, that is something that is becoming to you and I who are watching that. That is something, maybe for lack of better words, it's pleasant to look at, it's, it's attractive, it's flattering to, to their testimony and to their profession of being a follower of Christ. I think like many of you, I know I can say this, and I think many of you would be able to say this like I can, over the years, there have been times that I have witnessed people just make the hard decision to do right. It wasn't what was popular. It wasn't what was expected. It wasn't what would have really advanced their cause. It's not something that most people would have understood. And I just know for myself, I have looked at that and I've thought, what a tremendous blessing. You know why? We express it like this many times. Because you don't see that every day. This may not excite us, but this is, this, is, this is relevant, okay? This is relevant. You see somebody, and they're in a position, and the world is pulling here, and the culture is pulling here, and, and people are saying this and expecting this and wanting them to do this, and they know all that, but they know what's right. And they say, you know, I'm just going to do what is right because it's always right to do right. And that is becoming of them. And part of what is becoming about that is it's so pleasant to watch. It is so pleasant to look at because, again, you don't see that kind of dedication every day. What you see today, and you know this as well as I do, is you see a lot of people doing what is expedient for them, what is best for them, what most suits their wants in life. I'm just saying, if we're honest, whenever someone decides to do right, no matter what the cost may be, not only is that becoming in the sight of God, it is becoming to the, to the person or to the people who are watching 
who have any kind of desire themselves to do that which is right. So think about the statement. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. That is a statement of plurality, that it was good not just for Christ, but for John, not just for John, but of Christ, and anyone who would have been involved. So I want us to think about this. I know that you can see where this is headed. But just as it is always right for us to do right, I want us to think about the bigger picture and what this looks like if you and I choose to do right. If you and I choose to do right, like we have witnessed other people do so, I want us to think about what that must look like in the eyes of God. Here is this child that I've saved. Here is this one that I have delivered from hell. You with me? Here is my child. I have saved them. I have delivered them. I have given them eternal life. And now you or myself, we are in this predicament. We are in this situation. And the question essentially is being asked of us, will we do what is right or will we do what we want to do? When you and I choose to do right you know what that's like in the eyes of God it is something that is easy to look at it is pleasant to look upon it is something that would bring our heavenly father great joy and if you and I then choose to do what is right like others have chosen to do what is right you know what that does it is something that is then pleasant for others to look upon and something that is enjoyable for them to look on. Our lives can actually be something, if we choose obedience, that is a blessing for others to behold because it's not what they get to see every day. And so you and I can present something that is attractive. Surely you see the correlation, right? It's like when you choose to do right, it's like you're slipping on a garment that actually looks good, that actually flatters, that actually makes the situation better. And so I'm just trying to show us tonight that here is Christ, and what is he saying to John? He is saying, listen, it becometh us to do right. And friends, it becometh us to do right. It makes us look better in the eyes of God. And somebody says, well, I'm not worried about that. No, you need to worry about looking good in the eyes of your heavenly Father. And it makes us look good in the eyes of those who are trying to do right. Are there going to be people in the world who don't understand it? Of course. Are there going to be people in the world who don't appreciate it? Obviously so. But when someone else who is trying to do right can look at our lives and see us doing right, it is something wonderful to behold. Because we don't get to witness that every day. So the flip side of that would kind of have to be this. If obedience becometh us, 
I wonder what disobedience looks like. That's a fair question, right? If it becometh us to do right, to, to fulfill all righteousness, I wonder what it looks like whenever we choose to not do what is right. I wonder if in the eyes of God, it's kind of like Susie's perception of me whenever I put on that old nasty t-shirt. It's not very flattering. It's not what I want to see. It's not what I want to behold. It's not what I want to have to look at. I think there's an element of truth to that, right? I saved you. I've delivered you. I have, I have bought you. And now you're in this situation where you need to make some decisions and you need to do what is right. But if you and I choose to not fulfill all righteousness and we choose to do our own thing, I can't assume that, that really that God in heaven is pleased with what he's saying and what he's beholding. And if we claim to be a child of God, and we're put in that situation where we have to make some decisions, and we have to, to make some choices that may be tough and that may not be very popular, and we choose to do what is convenient and expedient for ourselves, and there are other Christians who are trying to do right, and they witness that, they, they witness us doing what we want to do rather than what God would have us to do. I wonder what it must look like to them. I mean, I would think that would be less than flattering, right? Because I think many of us would have to say something like this, that over the years we have watched people and they've made poor decisions and they've gone a direction that really wasn't that healthy, that wasn't really beneficial to them, that, that wasn't spiritually motivated at all. And I think many of us would have to say something like this, man, that's been tough to watch. Have we ever thought that? Boy, it's not easy to watch. You just see them making one poor decision after another poor decision after another poor decision. That is not easy to watch. It's something that's not flattering. It's not something that's attractive. It's not something that is, that is pleasant to behold. And, and so tonight I want us to think about this. I want us to, to consider this. And, and somebody says it's so repetitive. Well, only for a few more moments. Christ said obedience is attractive. Obedience is something that is pleasant to look upon. You know, it only makes sense if we think about it. It really does only make sense from a spiritual standpoint for you and I to want to look our best. Amen. To look our best to our Heavenly Father. And to any Christian, we might be able to help along the way. It only makes sense that we would desire that. The problem, I think, sometimes for many of us is this. Again, kind of like me with that old shirt. Sometimes we just don't care. We're just not worried about it. We're not worried about our presentation. We're not worried about our looks. We're not worried about what kind of signal that sends or message it sends. 
And then to our Heavenly Father, because of our lack of obedience, we don't look good. And to those who are looking on who could use some encouragement, maybe encouragement from some obedience on our part, we don't look that good. And, and I'm just going to try to summarize this tonight and say this. You and I should have a desire from a spiritual standpoint to look our best, which can only be accomplished when we choose to live in obedience and to fulfill that which is right. You and I cannot live in disobedience or partial obedience and be in the eyes of God what we ought to be, and we cannot do it and be in the eyes of others what we need to be. We have to be obedient. We have to be willing to do what is right in order for us to be becoming in our spiritual testimony. Something to think about. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to just take into consideration what Christ said, that it is always right to do right. It's the proper thing. It's the appropriate thing. It, it really is that simple. It's just right to do right. And in a sense, tying into last week's message, we need to be reminded of the need to do what is right. But Lord, would you help us tonight to, to be reminded of how becoming it is to you and to fellow Christians whenever we do right? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to care about that, that you'd help us to desire to do what is right. pray that you'd speak to hearts however you need to tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.